Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. I'm calling this message 1 Samuel 13. I'll do it my way. I'll do it my way. And that just doesn't sound good. Don't you hate it when you're trying to teach your kids the right way to do things and they go, no, I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. And what God was dealing with in Israel here is like, okay, you want to do it the way you want to do it? Well, you'll find out where that gets you. We want a king. They rejected God. He goes, okay, see where that gets you. Here's where it's going to end up. And he told them too. It's not going to turn out good. There's something about people who reject the gospel. They refuse to give up their own way because they will not walk according to God's commandments. Their philosophy in life is, I will do it my way. Even uh, Frank Sinatra has a song. I saw it last night. He was singing, I'll do it. I did it my way. And don't ask me to do that again. You can just watch the video if you want to see that. But he's saying about, I'll do it my way. I was trying to speak to this young lady one time about the gospel, and she had this big issue about, oh, God's way. Or, you know, she was all upset about that. She wouldn't have it. She didn't like hearing about it has to be God's way. She thought that my telling her the gospel was me trying to make her think like me. I said, no, I'm just trying to show you the gospel. She, she said, no, I don't want to know, have nothing to do with it. I live my life, my terms, my way. Well, she worked at Sonic, and they hired this girl... And they told her to train her. And there were standards that Sonic had for you to abide by these particular rules. Do it the way we tell you. And I saw her on Facebook just complaining to high heaven about this girl that she would just, she just would not do it. She won't do it the way we're telling her. We have a way to do things at Sonic. And she just won't do it the way we're telling her. And so, of course, I jump in there. (laughs) And I said, so, in other words, you're trying to hold her to a standard that she doesn't want to follow, right? And then she just got quiet. And she messaged me privately. She goes, I know what you're trying to do. And I said, well, okay, as long as you understand. And I left her alone. But it's like kind of interesting how people are when they see that God has a standard. He has ways He expects us to be. And they don't want to follow it. But when it comes to the workplace, oh, you have to do it like this. And when it comes to other scenarios, you got to do it like this. But when it comes to God, no, I want to do it my way. So their standards have a lot to do with the way we live life. It's, there's standards everywhere. Life has certain standards to abide by. And make no mistake, God has a standard we have to abide by as well. Now we're going to see some of this in 1 Samuel 13. 1 Samuel 13 and 1, Saul's unlawful sacrifice. It says, now Saul... He reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose for himself 3,000 men of Israel, 
2,000 were with Saul in Michmash and in the mountains of Bethel. And 1,000 were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin. The rest of the people he sent away, every man to his tent. And Jonathan attacked a garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba. And the Philistines heard of it. Then Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. Now all Israel heard it said that Saul had attacked a garrison of the Philistines, and that Israel had also become an abomination to the Philistines. And the people were called together to Saul at Gilgal. Then the Philistines gathered together to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen, and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and encamped in Michmash to the east of Beth-Avon. When the men of Israel saw that they were in danger, for the people were distressed, then the people hid in caves, in thickets, in rocks, in holes, and in pits. And some of the Hebrews crossed over the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. Okay, all of God's warning that he had given Israel in the past, all this stuff is starting to, you can see it's all starting to happen now. It's not looking good. But after a year, it says, he reigned a year, and now he's entered into his second year. But after a year, Saul trained up an army of 3,000 men, 2,000 under him, and 1,000 under Jonathan. And they gathered with Saul at Gilgal, it says. Okay, so apparently that, uh, that encounter with the Ammonites, Saul realized, okay, we need to have an army trained up. But why are they in Gilgal? Because of what Samuel told Saul about a year ago or so in 1 Samuel 10 and 8. He said, You shall go down before me to Gilgal, and surely I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and make sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait till I come to you and show you what you should do. So wait, and I'll come show you. I'll do the, we'll come do the sacrifices. But now here in chapter 13, remember that Samuel came around on a circuit. Uh, if you remember in the past, it says uh, he went around on a circuit, and he ended up in Gilgal about once a year. He was going around doing work. He did a lot of uh, priest work for the people, and that's why Saul was waiting for him there, because Samuel always went around and made this circuit every year, so he's waiting in Gilgal. So here we are, First Samuel 13 and 8. Then he waited seven days, according to the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. So Saul said, Bring a burnt offering and peace offerings here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. Now it happened, as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering, that Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him, that he might greet him. And Samuel said, What have you done? I can just hear that. that. That sounds scary to me. What have you done? Saul said, When I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that you did not come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered together at Michmash, then I said, The Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal. And I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. Oh, Saul, so wonderful, you great guy, over-spiritualized. No, that's not for Saul to do. Uh, he wasn't supposed to do that. It sounded right, didn't he? 
You ever notice when people make this mistake, they start making excuses for themselves? Well, you didn't come on time. Uh, and, and I had this enemy, so I wanted to make supplication to the Lord. Well, good for you. <laughs> what Saul did here is that he unlawfully took over tried to anyway, took over the priest's job of offering the sacrifice. God's law stated this law was for the Levite priest to do only. That was not Saul's job. Well, he made it sound like he did the right thing. That was not his job to do that. Saul broke God's law. What happens when you break the law? You get in trouble. (laughs) He broke God's law. That was not Saul's job. Saul broke God's law because he got worried. You heard what he said there, all the Philistines. He got worried about the Philistines, and therefore he got impatient. And when you get impatient, like Saul did, he did not wait on the Lord's man. And he did things his own way. There's a word in the Bible for when you do things your own way. It's called iniquity. Saul committed iniquity. He did it his way. But Saul tried to argue with Samuel by making excuses. Well, you were late, so I had to do it. No, guys, Samuel was not late. If you read the text, it says he showed up right after the sacrifice was done. He was not late. Even if Samuel had been late... That did not give Saul the right to do things his own way. That gave Saul no right to take over. Let's say Samuel was a month late. That doesn't give you the right to take over. You're supposed to wait. Saul's excuses are invalid. He has no argument here. 1 Samuel 13 and 13. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. See how Samuel's not putting up with it. You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Then Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin. And Saul numbered the people present with him, about 600 men. Okay, that's as far as we're going to go in chapter 13 today. We're not going any farther. And I know you're thinking, man, we're getting out of here early today. No, we're not. So just sit down and hush, okay? We got more to do. (laughs) There's a lot to talk about here. First off, did you see how Samuel refused to put up with Saul's excuses? He would not accept Saul's excuses. Well, you were late. Well, I had the Philistines. I, I thought I should... Mm-hmm. Saul didn't put up with it. No. He goes, you did something foolish. You shouldn't have done that. He said, you've done foolishly. And when Samuel said this, when he said, you have done foolishly, he used a Hebrew term that meant for people who act without regard for God. You have done foolishly. You acted without any regard for God's sacrifice. Saul had no regard, no reverence. He had placed no real value on the sacrifice. Samuel told him, remember Samuel told him, I will come. I will come. 
So for Saul to jump the gun and do the sacrifice himself, he didn't really believe Samuel was coming. Samuel told him, I will come. Sacrifice is the work of a priest, not you. I will come. I will take care of it. That's my job. So he didn't really trust Samuel's word. And so that's why he gave in to his own worry and he gave in to his own impatience and he did things his own way. He committed iniquity against the Lord. But now he has to face the consequences. The consequences. Your kingdom shall not continue. Saul had just demonstrated undeniable proof that he had no regard for the Lord's sacrifice. And because of that, he lost the kingdom. I always say, you can choose your own sins, but you never get to pick the consequences that come along with it. So, he's going to lose the kingdom. In fact, the kingdom is going to be given to somebody else that the Lord had found. A man who is after the Lord's own heart. Which means, this man, he will have the same kind of desires that God has. Such a man that is after the Lord's own heart will be obedient. He will be an obedient man. He won't be so insistent to forget God that God has things to do God's way. He won't be so quick to say, I'm going to do it my way. A man after God's own heart will do things God's way. It's not known at this point yet who this man will be, but we know from history that the man the Lord would make king is going to be David. We understand that because we've got the history to read from now. But at that time, they didn't know it yet. Acts 13.22 says, And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom... Also, he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. That's what this man after his own heart is. A man that's going to do what God tells him to and do it his way. When I say wait, you wait. (laughs) When When I say the sacrifice ain't yours to do, then it ain't yours to do. When I say do something, you do it the way I tell you to do it. You don't pop off, go, well, I have to act and over-spiritualize it and make excuses and do it the way you think it ought to be done. You do it the way God says to do it. That's the definition of what David was going to be like. Now, people like to argue the difference in Saul and David. They like to try to defend Saul a little bit. They try to think that Saul was treated unfairly because we know that David sinned too. Saul and David were both sinners, no doubt, but David is one who would do the Lord's will. I catch a lot of comfort from that because I've sinned, guys. I've messed up. I've done some pretty bad stuff in my life. But now where I'm at with God now, I want to do God's will, and God loves that. David and Saul, they were very, very different kinds of men. In fact, later on in this very book, Saul continues to disobey God with a persistently rebellious track record. He keeps on. This little sacrifice thing is just the start. He keeps on acting like that. David and Saul were two very different men. I hear a lot of talk about that right now because there are some men in prominent Christian leadership spots right now in our culture that have really been caught doing some really bad stuff and they're being removed from their place of leadership. And a lot of people are arguing, well, let's just extend them grace and forgive them and let them keep going. And I have a problem with that because when you do something to a certain level and you're not repentant about it and you develop a track record that you have continued doing it, you got to, the guy's got to go. 
And I'm aware of that as a pastor, that if that happens to me, I understand what could happen to me. So people like to say, well, no, 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 let's do them like David did. No, 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 you can't put David and Saul in the same box. They were very different guys. Saul was, God, I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. But David's like, I know I messed up, but I want to do it the way you want to do it. That's what we got to remember about the difference between Saul and David. That's why Saul lost the kingdom, why he got removed from his position of leadership, but David got to keep it. Very two different guys. We don't want to confuse that. Now, a very interesting point here is the fact that Samuel told Saul, guys, I'll just be honest with you. Saul confuses me. I'm always trying to figure out where does Saul really stand? (laughs) But it says here, Samuel told Saul, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. I mean, I thought originally Saul wasn't the guy God wanted for Israel at all. So what's this about it would have been forever? But now your kingdom shall not continue. My question was kind of why would God have offered a forever kingdom to a guy as messed up as Saul? Why would he have offered that? Well, here's my answer. The Lord loves to offer grace to sinners that don't deserve it. He offers grace. Great things to people that don't deserve it one bit. Saul committed iniquity against the sacrifice of the Lord. It's like, Saul, the offer was there. You could have had it. But you did not trust the Lord's man that I am coming. You just had to do it your own way. Proverbs 14 and 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. What you think is right, if you haven't consulted with the Lord first, what you think is right is probably not right. Well, what do I do? You should pray about everything, every decision you make. Don't knee-jerk react. That's what Saul did. What you think is right probably is not right. Never go according to your own opinion of what you think is right because that is iniquity. My way. I will do it my way. I've been around a long time. I'm pretty experienced. I've been doing this for, you know, 20, 30 years. I'll do it the way I want to do it. Yeah? How's that been working out for you for the last 20 or 30 years? Why is your life still a mess? Stop doing it your way and do it the Lord's way. That is iniquity, my way. Guys, we have to learn how to view everything through the holy standard of God. A lot of people think, man, God was too harsh on Saul because you're not looking through the holiness of God. That standard. Saul did not view his scenario through the holy standard of God. And so now he's going to face a very harsh consequence. Now, I wanted to find a biblical event that helps us to learn how to see things like this, the violation of the sacrifice. How do we view this through God's holiness? I want to take us back to what we read in 1 Samuel 6. Uh, If you remember, that's when the ark of the Lord returned back to Israel on a cart. Remember, they, they captured the ark and it was plaguing them real bad. People were dying. Okay, well, let's set it on a cart and get it out of here. And they, they took cows or oxen or whatever that had never had a cart hooked to them. I mean, everything was stacked against this actually working. And the cows just took it right on out of there. I mean, because God guided it, right? And you remember the cart with the ark came in to the city of Beth Shemesh. And the people there, they opened up the ark and they looked into it when they knew, they knew good and well 
that it was against God's law to do that. They violated the ark. That was the priest's job to handle the ark of the covenant, not their job. And so because of their iniquity, because they did things their way, they faced the consequence of the deaths of over 50,000 people in Beth Shemesh. And remember, that scenario of all those people dying, their violation and the consequence that followed, the consequence caused them to ask a very, very big question. The question was, who is able to stand before this holy God? Who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? The consequences were designed to get the people to turn back to the holiness of God. To have reverence towards the Lord again. And so the story of the violation of the ark at Beth Shemesh should be an example for us to help us view Saul's violation of the sacrifice with the vision of godly holiness. That will help us understand the severity of what Saul did when we compare it with what happened in Beth Shemesh. And so now Saul's kingdom is not going to last forever. He said it would have lasted forever. Now it's not. What this means is your sons cannot pick up the throne after you and continue a dynasty. They cannot continue a reign, to reign on the throne. Saul's own sons were not going to be able to rule after him. And so how did God work things out to where none of Saul's sons could challenge David's reign? Later on, I'm going to throw you forward again. In 1 Samuel chapter 31, we're going to read that Samuel died in battle and all of his sons died with him. They're all gone all at once. That ended Saul's line, and it also removed anybody else that would try to claim the throne that would try to block David from ruling. God cut it off. God was going to bring in a king from the tribe of Judah, and from David's line, it would be prophesied that the Messiah would rule from the tribe of Judah. Saul was not from Judah. Saul was of the tribe of Benjamin. Saul's not the right guy. And he told Israel this before they wanted the king. He goes, I'm, he's like, I'm warning you, this ain't going to turn out good. And they're like, we don't care. We want this king anyway. God's like, okay, you watch what goes down. It's like I said, when your kids insist on doing something wrong and they just want to fight you tooth and nail, sometimes you're like, all right, find out. <laughs> that's what's happening with Israel. I'm sorry for any of you kids who's got parents in the room right now. I don't mean to make it edgy in here. Anyway, <laughs> but remember, the people of Israel, they wanted Saul because they had rejected God. The reason they wanted a king was because they said, God, no, we want somebody else. That's the problem here. Friends, things never work out good when you reject God. Things never work out good when you disobey God. It's good to do it his way instead of doing it your own way. So just look at chapter 31 if you want to, and you'll see how things turn out for Saul's sons. Now, this thing of it's my life, I can do what I want to. You hear people say that all the time. I've got the right to live my life any way I want to do. That's iniquity, but iniquity does not just hurt you. From seeing that we know that Saul's sons die, iniquity doesn't just hurt you. It hurts the people you love. Would you hurt people you love intentionally? Well, your reaction is no. But when you commit iniquity, it will hurt the people you care about. 
you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.